0: Why has someone who's never surfed before invited one of the world's greatest ever surfers onto his podcast? Well, much like the impact that last week's guest, Alyssa Westring's book, Parents Who Lead, had on me in the early stages of lockdown, a conversation I heard between Kai Kawasaki and today's guest, Sean Thompson, had a profound effect on me too, and it offered me plenty of reasons for optimism during what was such a strange and challenging time. Now, this podcast was originally going to be called Take My Advice, I'm Not Using It, but since it's such a mouthful, i cut the name back a little. We discuss the theme in the podcast, though, specifically in relation to how Sean shares his wisdom with other people. We also talk about Sean's fascinating life as one of the creators of professional surfing as we know it, how his life in the water and out of it has been influenced by flow, and most importantly, we discuss his code. Originally written as a surfer's code, this was a very simple list of promises that Sean lived by using the metaphor of surfing. Following the tragic loss of his son in 2006, however, the code became something much greater. And since then, Sean has shared it with people around the world. I found this conversation inspiring, and I'm certain you'll enjoy it too. So, Sean, thank you very much for joining me today. Tell me where you are at the moment. It's my pleasure to be with you. I'm in Santa
1: Barbara, California, in the United States.
0: Nice. And we're recording the day after Thanksgiving, so we were just chatting. I think you're probably uh, going to need to walk off a big meal. Yeah, I was just out there
1: on the tennis court with my son. Uh, we've got a little public court right near our house here, so we're hitting some balls around. I know we both of us, we just we just consumed vast amounts of turkey and punk- pumpkin pie and mashed potatoes and gravy <laughs> and and stuffing. It's kind of a traditional American holiday, which I think has has incredibly deep symbolism for, for for everyone in the world and uh, I mean to me the, the the holidays is built around obviously gratitude you know and yes, the whole world has been through this tough time, but I still think you know we, we can be grateful for having our families and and for having um, these common values i think and people have realized i think through this crisis and especially in america relative to the election that, that while we all different and my, we might have different political opinions, you know, the value structures is the same. You know, all people, all people have these, the, the, the same basic set of values. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to take a step back a little bit, isn't it? And just to take a, for everyone to take a breath. So I, I was saying to you a moment ago, I think I'm approaching this with a sense of imposter syndrome because You are, of course, uh, very well known as being a surfer, one of the guys who established surfing as a professional sport, and I am somebody who has never surfed a day in my life, but the approach that you've taken to your life and everything you've done since you gave up professional surfing has resonated so much with me, and it stemmed from a conversation I felt like I listened into between you and Guy Kawasaki on his Remarkable People podcast. It came for me at the very beginning of lockdown in this country, and it made such an impact that I actually talked about it. it was I can't tell you how many people. In fact, it, it made its way into my business presentation. There's a picture of you surfing on the front of my presentation. So that's how oh, much of an impact you made. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> no, and, and, and I think everyone will discover why. But before we get into the code, which is the name of your book and it's I suppose a philosophy which you share with people and help them define purpose and, and lead a enriching life. But before we get into that, should we rewind to the beginning and maybe you could tell us where you started, where you grew up and how you became so passionate about surfing.
1: Sure, sure. So I grew up in Durban, South Africa. It's a pretty big city on the east coast at about 31 degrees latitude. So it's in the subtropical zone. We lived right on the beach. My father was a, a great swimmer in his youth. He was one of South Africa's fastest uh, swimmers. And then the Second World War intervened and he went and, and served fighting against the Nazis and the Italians in North Africa and, and bombing Southern Italy. And then when he came back from the war, he resumed his swimming career and uh, he wanted to go to the Olympics. It was actually the London Olympics were coming up in 1948, first Olympics after the war. And then in 19. 19- 46, he was out there in the surf on a little wooden surfboard, and he had a very, very bad shark attack. A Zambesi shark came up underneath him and nearly bit his arm off. So that was the end of of his swimming career. But you know, my father never lost his amazing love for the ocean. And he imparted that onto me and taught me how to swim and surf right near where he had had this, this terrible attack. And my mom also, you know, was fundamental I think, in, in the early early part of my life, and still is. My mom's 90. She's still still alive. I speak to her every day. Uh, she was a, a survivor. She was born in England. She was born in, in Plymouth, actually. And then her family moved to Malta when she was about eight years old. And then she had to endure um, the Second World War on the island of Malta, which ended up being the most heavily bombed place in the history of the world, 3,400 air raids. In fact, for all the, the English listeners, every single inhabitant of the island of Malta was awarded the George Cross, which is the civilian equivalent of the, of the Victoria really? Cross right? Yeah, for, for valour, uh, because the, 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 the little island was just had the hell bombed out of it. Still, to this day, it's the most heavily bombed place in the history of the world. So my mom endured that, and then eventually they, they evacuated the English citizens because uh, there was no more food, and they were starving, and she came through Egypt through Alexandria and then ultimately down to South Africa. But i tell you the story of, of my mom and dad because, you know, their hope and faith I think was instrumental in my life. You know, they both suffered very, very hard times growing up. My mom with a bombing and then a new life in South Africa. My father, you know, being one of the, the top swimmers in the country and then having the, the shock attack. And then also the love for the sea that that they both imparted to me. My mom, my mom said to me like a couple of years ago. She said when she first walked down, after coming off the ship in in Durban, off the troop ship they were evacuated down, She said she walked down towards that Indian Ocean and she said, I've never felt as free as when I've been near the sea. I mean, it's like a it's like a beautiful poem, you know. Like I must go down to the sea again. So. You know, they gave me that love for the ocean. They gave me the hope and optimism. And then I just became, uh, I fell in love with the sea too. And eventually I gravitated from swimming to body surfing. And then we used to ride these little rubber surfer planes, they were called. And then onto a little belly board and then a surfboard. And then ultimately I just started doing better and better and better in in, in competition from a young age. For my Bar Mitzvah, when I was 13, my father took me to Hawaii. And I rode the big big waves there, and 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 then I, I you know I had a good career. I, I became ultimately a pro surfer. Helped build pro surfing, like you said earlier, with with a group of of Aussies and and some Hawaiian guys. You know we created a sport out of nothing, that was just sort of a lifestyle. That's and then we created an industry as well. I started my ultimately. I won the World Surfing Championships when I was 22 years old. Created a a well-known brand called Instinct, which Ultimately, I went on and sponsored young guys who became world champions themselves. So, so along with uh, you know a, another group of guys, my cousin Michael was, was an amazing force. We just lost him, unfortunately, he passed away a, a couple of weeks ago. But we we created this we created this business, we created this industry out of nothing, out of ether, out of love. And you know, when I look back on it and I, I see. I see, you know, young guys making millions of dollars and I see companies generating billions of dollars in sales. And I see all these smart speakers that talk about purpose and talk talk a lot actually they talk a lot of crap if you ask me. There's a lot of crap flying around. And I'm saying that man, we loved it. eh? We loved surfing we loved being in the ocean, it was pure, it was pure. Mm-hmm. And I think from that purity comes great power. And and we just created this super cool industry and, and, and circuit. And it was wonderful, wonderful to be a part of it. But at its essence, it was about this love and, and it had this purity and it had this this deep spiritual connection. You know, throughout my career, I competed as hard as one could compete. I mean, I was a hardcore athlete. But my primary motivation was was to go surfing. And I never, ever thought of any surf session that I had on the 16 years I, I competed on the on the pro tour as a practice session. For me, like the right. free surfing was the best part. Yes, I love competition and I competed really hard. but there there was a purity there in that love that i had and i think my contemporaries and peers had and out of it came came everything else but at, at its essence it was it was pure it was it was pure passion
0: and you still presumably got that love for for surfing now
1: yeah i'm still i still love surfing but it occupies a very a different place you know as you get older obviously you're not as strong. You're not as powerful. And until just a few years ago, every session for me was this. I'm not saying it was like a competition with myself, but I was always trying to push my limit to the maximum. And every wave that I rode, I rode it like that's the best I can ride that wave. <laughs> and over the last few years, there's been um, a little bit of an evolution, and and now. And it's very competitive in the lineup as well. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm like over sixty, and I'm competing against nineteen-year-olds and twenty-year-olds for that <laughs> wave. For the you're competing for that wave. And and now it's a, now it's a much more much more of a mellow environment. But it's equally as I think it's equally as as enriching. Maybe I don't get that like raw adrenaline rush, but I still have that more of a calmer feeling.
0: Yeah. And you were really young, weren't you, when you moved your life over to Hawaii?
1: I, I started competing in Hawaii at a young age, when I was 14 years old. I won my first major pro in, in South Africa when I was 17. I was actually doing my, my national service in the army. And then won my first major event in, in Hawaii when I was 19. So during my career, I was the youngest guy to win and the oldest guy to win.
0: And, oh, that's, and a, good, that's, a, that's know, a
1: good good record to have that yeah, one. yeah but 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 now i think kelly slater Kelly Slater certainly broken the record in terms of being the oldest guy yeah I don't know, I don't know whether he, he 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 didn't win as young as as I won. I think maybe there was one Australian who might have won um younger than me i am I'm not hundred percent sure, but you know the like the, the the results and the records are important in in a way. But it's funny, you know, when I think back to my pro days, I never, ever I would enter events, I never even knew that the prize money for the event, it, it, that was not, that was never the, never the focus. The focus was never on the, the focus was for me was always on the performance. And and I think for any athlete, anyone in business, I think the focus should not be on that end goal, on on the performance, on, on what leads up to it. I know, Ali, that, You dispense wonderful advice to people. I have found, and I speak to hundreds of thousands of people around the world, the biggest companies, the poorest schools, the most famous schools. And I always like to to tell people that I like to just give a perspective. I give you two things. I give a perspective of, of you know my life. That's that's you know I've had success. I've had failure. I've had happiness of a terrible tragedy, but it's a perspective. It's not a prescription. I'm not out there with a finger uh, wagging it. Like like you said to me that sometimes you can give someone advice and then you go, well, maybe I should follow my own advice. Do do you know what I mean? I I love to just say, it's just a perspective. And then I give you the code, which we can, we can talk about a, a little bit later, but that's what, that's what I give to people. And I have become over the years, you know, as I segued out of, professional surfing into business and, and, and the apparel business. And then after a, a terrible personal tragedy, I lost uh, my wife and I lost our son. I went, I went into this, I suppose it's like teacher teaching in a way, but I like to think it's more storytelling. And I like to, to like I say, do two things. I give a perspective and I give the code. And that's now my life that's that's what I do, and I, and I love doing it. I love it. I love it. I like to think I'm telling you, ollie, I think and and when we talk about the code I, I think I got, I got one of the best jobs in the world. I, I really love it I, I see I see into the human spirit, and what is there is good, and while we might divide it by cultures and language and political affiliation. You know, we all speak one language. And this language is called spirit language. And I like to think that when I speak to groups, I speak in spirit language. And when people write their code, they write in spirit language too. So this is a language that I want to become more and more prevalent around the world. And I think that, the more we speak in spirit language, the better the world will be. And it's a really simple process.
0: Yeah. And do you think your upbringing in South Africa at the time of apartheid shaped your outlook on the world?
1: Absolutely shaped me under the, the system of apartheid. Apartheid and hate is the, sort of the fundamental aspect of this philosophy. And it meant apartness, apart hate. So it, it meant a system of, of of institutionalized segregation. So, the school that I went to was segregated; was an all-white school. As were all the schools in South Africa. There was no there was no multiracial schools. The economic advantages flew to the white flowed to the white people. There was terrible division in the country, not just along black and white lines, but also amongst the English and the Afrikaners. And also just amongst the English, you had very, very conservative English speakers. Then you had, had very liberal English speakers like, like my father. But you know, when you grow up in a society and, and you're sort of a young person at school, you don't really realize how different it is. And it really, what really impacted me was, was firstly traveling and traveling to the United States and traveling to Australia and seeing how vastly different the culture was in these, well, not so much Australia then, but, but certainly in the United States, these, these absolutely integrated societies, even though civil rights was exploding in the, in the early 60s across the United States. But there, there wasn't this division, this legalized, dividing legislation like there was in, in South Africa. And then a big moment for me was when this famous Hawaiian surfer came to South Africa. His name was Eddie Aikau. He was like a Hawaiian iconic legend legendary guy. And my father had invited him out to compete in this surfing competition. One of the first pro surfing contests in the world that my dad started was called the Gunston 500. And he came out in the early 70s. And I remember my dad saying they, they have not let Eddie Aikau into his room because of apartheid. He was staying, how about this? He was staying in a hotel on the beach called the Malibu Hotel. How about that? So they said, no, you can't stay here because you're a, because you're a, they called, they called him a non-white, whites and non-whites. I mean, how about that? So we drove down there and grabbed him and he came and stayed with us. And then I would take him surfing and, you know, I could see now how he was looking at the society because I was with him. I was at school. I was only like 15, yeah. 15 years old, I think, but, but I could see it and, and, and it was sort of a really, I think it really made made a, made a big impact on, on me. And then I think throughout throughout my career, I've, I've always tried to be respectful and empathetic um, of other people's views and cultures because this was sort of a, you know, where I came from was, and this is not to say that every single South African was a racist or every single South African was unjust because there was... Because you're living under that type of regime doesn't mean that you have to subscribe to the values of the of of, of the government and South Africa you know gave me a very good life and gave me a great a, a great start and so so it did apartheid did in, in, in many ways I, I think give me a, give me a, a different viewpoint of how life should be. And then, you know, what happened in South Africa in 1990. So I am I retired from the tour in 1990, moved back to, to to South Africa with my wife. We had our child. I went back to finish, uh, finish a university degree that I'd had outstanding while I was on the tour. I never quite finished it. Um, and Nelson Mandela was released from prison in February 1990. And, and everyone thought the whole country was going to go up and smoke and that there was going to be, the country was going to be destroyed and ripped apart by civil war. But this man just brought everyone together um, and had this relatively peaceful transition, unlike any other transition in Africa. And in, in 1994, May 1994, April or May 1994, South Africa became, became democratic. And he brought everyone together when it could have ended up in civil war. And I I became fascinated with this process and the power that he had, that how one leader, I saw how one leader can bring people together. And then over the last four years in America, I've seen how one leader can break people apart. So this... This uh, study of leadership fascinates, fascinates me. I actually went back to grad school a few years ago to study leadership, to study, to do my post-grad, to do my master's in leadership. And it was so fascinating uh, to see that we all have this incredible power to influence not just ourselves, but others. So we, we all have this power. And, and you know when I, when I talk to people now around the world, I... I I tell everyone, they have to be really cognizant of this, this power that we all have as fathers, as mothers, as brothers, as sisters, as uh, CEOs, as employees, as managers. We, we all have fundamental power to, to impact people. And we have this credible responsibility too.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably a great opportunity to talk about the code because as I was saying earlier on, my experience of the code was first of all, hearing you talk about it. And then I bought your book and I know there's an important part of your teaching around this, which is you've got to write your own code, but I looked at your words and actually interpreted them and and read into them what I wanted to, which at the time there was three things which jumped out of me and forgive me if I don't get the exact wording right but one of them one of them was never fight a riptide and that just seemed like such a great metaphor yeah. for where we were in the world at that point it's like you exactly know, yeah just certain bigger forces than ourselves which you just can't fight and that was a kind of nice for me to just reflect and say look sometimes you just can't fight back just let uh, I mean, let the waves wash over you I guess would be a good description but the other one and actually this relates to what you just talked about and again I this is my own interpretation, but there was one which I, I watch out for other surfers after a big set. So for uh-huh. me, and I was talking to people within a work context at that point, for me, that meant taking responsibility for everyone around us. Yes. And again, that resonated, but, and, and, but the really key one, and this is the thing I kept talking to people about, was this idea that there'll, there'll be another wave because, you know, <laughs> exactly. that was, look, maybe this is a good time to pause because there's going to be another wave. There's going to be other opportunities. Things are going to start up again. Anyway, they're, they're my words. But perhaps you can explain in your words what the code is, what it mean, meant to you, and why you now live your life spreading the word of the code.
1: That it's wonderful that that you react to it that way, Ollie, and and, and thank you for that. You know, thank you for that wonderful interpretation. So, so to to everyone that's that's listening, I a number of years ago just to to give you a little bit of of context about this, you know, what's the hell is this code? And, you know, what are these words that that, uh, you're referring to? Uh, A number of years ago, one of the most famous breaks in the world, surfing breaks, uh, a place called Rincon, it's right here in in Santa Barbara, uh, was facing a severe environmental challenge. The homeowners were connected up to uh, septic tank systems and it's like a hole in the ground where the crap, when you flush the toilet, that's where the crap goes. And when it rained a lot, the water table would rise and the septics would overflow and ultimately the effluent would go out in the water and was making people sick. So this friend of mine who'd started this wonderful foundation called Surf Rider Foundation a number of years before, said, Sean, I want your help in, in um, confronting this problem and bringing awareness to the problem. He said, I'm bringing a group of young people to the beach and I'm going to bring some uh, government officials and local officials and the water board and media down there And uh, we want to highlight the problem through the kids and have have the media there. Uh, He said, I want you to give them something to to inspire the kids. So at the time, I had had, my wife and I had started a new company called Solitude, which was right across the road from the beach, right near Rincon. So I thought maybe I'll give all the kids gear. There's about 100 kids coming down. And then I thought, no, I'll do something different. So I went home and I bust out a sheet of paper and I wrote 12 lines, every line beginning with Will. And I called it Surface Code. And it was 12 lines of the fundamental lessons that surfing had taught me about life. Not not how to be the best surfer in the world, but how to coexist peacefully with others, how to, you know, they, they were very simple lines. And like you interpreted three of the lines in your own way, I will always paddle back out. Obviously, that, that, that can refer to resilience perseverance, hope, I will realize that all surfers are joined by one ocean. This this amazing connectivity that that we all have and the responsibility that we have for others, like you referenced, watch out for others after a big set. I will never turn my back on the ocean. And and that really is sort of reflective to me of of my father's experience. You know, the ocean can be a place of terrible danger, but also it can be a place of spiritual fulfillment and passion and if you love it, you know, you don't just turn your back on it and walk away. Uh, I will catch a wave every day, even in my mind. This notion that of, you know, today it's like mindfulness. So there was just 12 lines that I wrote. And then I printed them up on a little card, a little like credit card. I will take the drop with commitment. That was another one. You know Anything you do, I will ride and not paddle into shore. You know, they're, 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 they're all metaphor and they can be interpreted in many different ways. So I printed them up on these little cards, printed up a hundred cards, cost me like a hundred bucks. And I gave them out to these young people and I had some left over and I gave them out to the media and I gave them out to the moms and dads. And it just sort of turned into like a groundswell. People loved those little cards, just like you liked it. Because in my perspective, I like to think it's like a prism, that people, it's like a lens that people can look look at it and, and perhaps see their own life a bit differently. It's not like I'm, I'm this sort of Swami guru type of guy, but inside the, those 12 lines of code that the ocean gave me is, I, th- I think, is tremendous power. And I called it surface code. That's what I called it. And and pe- it just got more and more popular. And then people would phone me up uh, and ask me to talk. Talk at events. We put the code in the pockets of our clothing that we were making. We were making lots of clothing, selling it to lots of shops. So people would just find the code in the pocket of the board shorts or a shirt, and wow, it's pretty cool. And yeah. they found me up. Hey, Sean, would you like to come and do a talk? And you know, I ended up. Hey, come and do a talk. You know, you're, you're going to be opening the conference, and then there's Richard Branson is going to be speaking after you, and then M- Malcolm Gladwell is going to be speaking after you. So like, big dudes. You know what I mean? Like famous people, famous conferences, and. You know, they're doing their whole rap, and I, I'm just talking about the code, man. I'm just talking about surface code and these lessons that one can learn from life about from the ocean. So it led ultimately to a book. I collaborated on a book with a guy called Patrick Moser, and it was called Surface Code, and the book, book, book became really popular. And then, so you mentioned you heard about me through Guy Kawasaki. I was in an Apple store and I see a guy there and I walk up to him and I say, Are oh, you a Hawaiian guy? He goes, Well, I'm from Hawaii. I said, You guy Kawasaki? I said, I'm, I'm Sean Thompson. I said, Nice to meet you. And the guy that was sitting with him was a surfer guy. So he was super stoked that I'd come up there. Guy Kawasaki had, had never heard of me as a <laughs> surfer. But eventually, Guy and I became friends and I taught him how to surf and just because. I walked up to him and I went, hey, how's it? So these little connections you make can be fundamental. So now I've written Surface Code, the book, and I'm sitting in the lineup at Rincon waiting for Wave. A guy paddles up to me. He said, Sean, I'm a headmaster at a local school. I'd love you to come and talk at my school about the code. So I go down to the school, the high school, it's a tiny school, like two little old farmhouses, and I'm talking to the kids about the code and talking about the book. And I say to the kids, surface code's my code. I wrote it. Twelve lines, 105 words. I wrote it in 20 minutes. What about your code? What about writing your codes? Do the same process, 20 minutes, 12 lines, and send it to me. I didn't know what I, it was just a whole whole spear of the moment thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But I made an ask. Did you know what I mean? It's like, I made an ask. I asked for it. Yeah. Um, And then the code started flowing to me. Okay. So now, the very first line of code I got back from a young girl, 80 lines, 80 kids, about 80 kids, 12. Lines, so I get nearly a thousand lines of code. The very first line is, I will be myself. So, for anyone that's listening that's a mom or a dad, they know the unbelievable power contained in those words, I will be myself. So, this kid wasn't going to be victimized, bullied, She wasn't going to be knocked around. She was just going to be herself. Such power and, and all the other lines that these wonderful kids wrote just lines of inspiration you know i will do what i say i will do Uh, i will not compromise on my morals to fit in with the others i got so inspired yeah there's something here that's amazing that these kids these students writing these words inspiring themselves in many ways defining their own purpose in 12 lines and then the other students are reading them so they're inspiring the other students yeah so they're creating this, this power. Yeah. So I immediately found out Patrick Moser, who, who's my co-author with uh, Service said so We're going to write another book. We're going to call it The Code. That's the book that you've got. And the book is, is ultimately to help empower young people to make positive decisions through writing and activating their code and sharing their code. Now, I had lost my beautiful son, 15 years old, to a bad choice. He played a dangerous game. He heard about at school. So now I, I, I read this first line. I will be myself. So I don't know whether my son played this game because it was like a peer pressure thing, or you know who know we will never know. But those lines spoke to me, man. So I went down a completely different path, and then I started speaking at schools and getting kids to write their codes. And I, I went to a school in Florida, and these young students, instead of just writing their codes, they created these amazing graphics. I will live out loud. And there was a beautiful mural. I've actually got it right in front of me, right, right in front of my desk. The first one I ever saw. I will live a life of purpose and passion. I will love fully. I will aspire for greatness. And b- beautiful murals. Brilliant, yeah. So they're inspiring themselves, but also inspiring others and creating these inspirational statements. But also when you write something, and you put it up on a wall. Talk about accountability. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see there was something happening here. So then I went, hey, man, this is, from what I've seen about leadership with Nelson Mandela and other great leaders that I've, I've read about through these, I, thought, I, I want to study more. So I went back to grad school. I spent a couple of years at, at, at grad school studying leadership and coming across all this amazing research on inspiration and influence and emotional contagion and viral contagion and and i I came to the realization that my life my life was different now i was on a different path
0: yeah yeah and it's interesting isn't it that's i suppose looking through a lens of positive psychology and i I very much so and it is related to that it's not too much of a segue but i'm really fascinated with the idea of flow and achieving a flow state. And I know you've got some really interesting thoughts around that from a sporting perspective as a surfer, but I'm interested to hear how you see that in the business world. How does flow fit into the way that you have lived your life and live it now? How do you see the link between flow and positive psychology?
1: So flow was developed by Miha Csikszentmihalyi, a psychologist, and I've spoken with him a number of times amazing amazing man and originally he wanted to call it eudaimonia that was that was his original term that uh, he not, told not quite doesn't have the vibe about it. So, so he's an amazing man and the, the concept of flow is to to get into the state of optimal focus and concentration so that one can perform at one's best and It's one of the pillars of positive psychology, which is the science of optimal human functioning. So flow was very related to how I surfed a wave. So some of the characteristics of being in a flow state are this this laser focus and concentration, this feeling of absolute connectivity between mind, body, and soul, this feeling that you are sort of the master of time and space, Uh, that you can I I felt when I was surfing at my best especially riding inside the tube which is sort of what I was known for in surfing in terms of creating a whole new style of riding inside the tube which is the most uh, exciting and dangerous part of the wave you're riding inside this watery hurricane almost inside this tornado of water it's the most dangerous place because one mistake can mean a wipeout, and then you can be smashed into the Smashed into the coral that's that's running right beneath you, or, or the sand bottom that's running beneath you. Uh, when I was riding inside the tube, uh, I didn't call it a flow state because the flow concept had 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 not been he hadn't he hadn't named the concept. But I called the first my first company instinct. And the best moments in surfing are riding inside the tube when I felt that I could curve that wave to my will, man. I felt I could curve that wave to my will. I could slow down time. I felt I was just in some ways you feel like you're like a god. You feel that you just master of that, of that moment and the exhilaration and power that you feel is like unlike any other experience um, in life. And this Miha Chiksen Miha ultimately identified as as this as this flow state. So I'd also called the, my company Instinct and I felt that I was in perfect rhythm with the wave and with with my body and soul too. And I don't think the flow state is the province of, of elite athletes or Nobel Prize winning writers or ballerinas or... I think anyone can achieve that that flow state, if what you're doing is what you should be doing, and
0: I, I love to 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 ask people
1: write your code because it can help you identify your purpose and your path forward. It's a 20 minute exercise. It's really simple. If you're a family write it together and then share it. If you're in a team, write it together as a team and share it. And the code is open source code. So this code can be used in any way that you feel like it, you want to use it. So I sent you, I don't know if you got it, Ollie, which was a little, if you can share that, just share that QR code. Yeah, yeah, I will. All you do if, if you haven't used a QR code before, you just set your camera to photo and then you just hover it over this QR code and it takes you to, to a really cool place where you can write your code and, and then other people can see your code too. So you can you know, so just hover over the QR code and what it'll do, it'll take you to this little spot here and there's a little sort of, not so much as an instruction, but just a description of, of, of what it is. And then you can create your own code card and underlying the code, the 12 elements, faith, gratitude, humility, courage, love. I, I, I think these are the 12 elements of humanity. Uh, it's like a mini periodic table of what makes us, what makes us humans. This yeah. is you from the inside out.
0: I think now more than ever, this is critical because there's a couple of things we've talked about in, in the last 10 minutes as I like con- connectivity and, flow and you worry that the world we're living in right now of, of detachment for a start that's the opposite to connectivity and the other thing and this is from very much a kind of practical day-to-day work perspective the whole challenge of flow is that you have to have this uninterrupted period of work and of course the nature of technology whilst it's facilitating conversations like we're having right now you know it's brilliant the other side of the world having a you know real-time conversation i think one of the challenges is that it's also a massively interrupting force yeah. and the constant availability to people actually inhibits the possibility, I think, to achieve flow. For me, mm-hmm. it's been a battle to establish boundaries with people to have availability of time for me to focus and not be interrupted. And it's, it's beholden on us all, isn't it? To support each other, to write in our own code, to communicating our purpose to one another.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think you're you're 100% correct there, Ollie. You know, you did bring up one of the aspects of surface code that really resonated with you, and this concept of uh, I'll realise there'll always be another wave. You know, this concept of 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 hope, and the code can really help. I think people with their next wave, and it's. So I got to tell you this. at the end of March, when COVID hit, my business over the last number of years has been keynotes and workshops to companies and schools. So that I could see that business, this business was going to go. It's going to, my, my business was going to be finished. So uh, I found a local studio downtown here. and I, you know, We set up a studio and, and, and my business suddenly exploded again. My first client was Gilead Sciences. They'd just come out with the first treatment for uh, COVID. Yeah. And Desvir and you know, did a whole series of events for them and then all sorts of other magic companies. And I wanted to to make it interactive and I wanted to find out what people were feeling. So I would start off the presentations. I'd say send me a word that describes how you're feeling right now. So this this was for I don't know, tens of thousands of people. I would ask them this. Send me a word. One I just want one word. And on the fly. I would build a word cloud, super cool technology. I don't know if you've used it. It's called Poll Everywhere. It's really good. So all these words would bomb in from thousands of people around the world. And it was like 80% negative. Wow. So like I started this in March, early April, and I'd see all this negativity, 20% positive, 80% negative. Because that's when COVID hit and people were just freaked out. So I called it a sad state of mind: stress, anxiety, despair, disconnection. Those are the words you use. The word about you use connectivity, mm. stress, anxiety, despair, disconnection. That's what people people were feeling, and I had this interesting insight into what people were thinking through these words. Thousands. These are these were schools, universities, rehab clinics, all sorts of different, not just industry, but, but, but schools and, and, and other sorts of clinics. So I would do the process and talk about, give them everyone my perspective, tell them about the code, and then I'd get people to write and share their codes online. Okay, so during the, the two-hour presentation, 20 minutes was devoted just to beautiful music and visuals, and everyone would have to write their code together. Mm. So you'd have people across the world, in Asia, in Europe, in the United States, all together in different time zones, writing their codes and then bombing them in and sharing them. So how about this? hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lines of code perhaps millions of lines of code over the last few years so this is what i this is what i have have come to understand and have seen so everyone writes different lines of code if you do the exercise you do it with your family with your with your wife with your 8 year old would be fun to do it have him do it and if anyone listening do it you know, everyone writes beautiful words everyone writes magnificence but everyone writes only two lines and these two lines are the two tributaries of the river of life and this is why we are born and this is the meaning of life people say like what's the meaning of life this is the meaning of life as i've seen it from reading millions of lines of code i will be better that's the one line we want to be better. We want to be better today than we were yesterday. We want to be better tomorrow than we are today. We have this drive and compulsion to be better. I will help others be better. Those are the two lines that people write. So we are born to be connected and we're born to be better. It's just, it's so beautiful. When I I, I came to this realization I mean, wow, this is so amazing. And every single line of code that I read. And when you go, you, you, when you go on, when you go to the QR code, you're going to read. Uh, we only got the technology very, very, very recently. So I want to I really build this code up, and I want to collectivize code. And hopefully we can get hundreds of thousands of people around the world doing it. But it's brand new, and we're just trying the new technology out. But it's so beautiful to see this. I'll be better. Yeah. I'll help others be better. How about that in the context of the world that we're facing right now? I'll be better. I'll help others be better.
0: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we've got to finish on because I'm very conscious of your time. I do appreciate you spending all this time with me today and to share your thoughts with everybody listening. I'm going to put the QR code in the show notes or a link to it in the show notes so anybody can find um, the details on there, and obviously they can look up your, your book on any any good, any good book retailer. Uh, Sean, <laughs> sure, oh, thanks so yeah. much. That was a really really great conversation, and um, it's lovely to speak to you.
1: No, really, it's a great pleasure, and and thanks for for having me on, and and thanks for uh, thanks for spreading this word of goodness because you, you know it's it's people like you who can impact others and and send out that that positivity that, that people needs and, and who knows there might be one person that's listening and has had a hard run and a hard ride and has been knocked down. And maybe there's something in what you've said or something that I've said and the person goes, Wow, man, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try that. So thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Well, I'm not sure about you, but I found that both interesting and, as I said at the beginning, really inspiring. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and listen to the previous episodes of Take My Advice. I've got some great guests coming up over the next few weeks to talk about various topics related to the future of our work lives. So please join me then. Cheers.